0: Hi, I'm Kat Cho, author of Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits. And I'm Clarabel A. Ortega, author of Ghost Squad,
1: and this is Write or Die.
0: Uh, you forgot to say, author of Goodreads Choice Awards nominee, <laughs> Ghost Squad. <laughs> Do we need to do the intro again? (laughs) No, you don't have to do it again. But congratulations.
1: Thank you. And congratulations to you, who just announced literally five
0: seconds ago about your new book deal on Twitter. Yeah, like, what is life? Publishing is definitely a hurry up and wait kind of an industry. And then when it rains, it pours, honestly. Yeah, everything seems to happen
1: at the same time exact time like we were just saying usually you get news when you're doing something else or something it, like you're in the middle of something so you it's just so chaotic
0: yeah I at all times it's chaotic <laughs> <laughs> like we're I I was like trying to figure out how to do my deal announcement on Twitter and Clarabel's like messaging me being like i'm on skype where are you you promised we'd talk now and i was like oh no so yeah that's that's author's life though it's it's eerily always at the worst moment (laughs) yeah
1: it's true things like that It, it just always happens and like I feel like for you specifically, you get news at really inconvenient times, like moving and driving across the country.
0: Um. Yes, like literally I have to like pay attention to the road and not get tired on like a 14 hour drive and I'm like freaking out and all of my energy is like draining out of my body. But you got life force
1: from the chicken nuggets, which is what we use them for
0: yes Mm -hmm. claribel and i are chicken nugget witches which (laughs) means that our magic stems from that delicious bready goodness so uh that's our secret (laughs) that is our secret the secret's out the secret's out we can never keep secrets from you guys you're all of our friends um but yeah let's let's kind of try to focus it's so hard uh But we do have an AMA that I thought was really interesting, especially because it really touches on things going on right now. Um, So I'll just read it. Hi, a question about virtual events. I noticed that some bookstores require attendees to purchase books before being sent a link to the event, while others host open virtual events also how some bookstores will later post the virtual event on youtube crowdcast for future viewing while others don't i assume there's reasons for this but was curious if either of you had any thoughts or ideas on this thank you smiley face <laughs> <laughs> thank you smiley face um yeah claribel well, why don't you well first for anyone who doesn't know claribel well, why don't you kind of um give a rundown of like the main platforms that you've seen used on virtual events
1: um in terms of like the plat like Streamyard and that kind of thing, like things that people, yeah. So, um, I would say like the main ones. The unfortunately, the main one has been Zoom. Mm
0: -hmm. Most people
1: have used Zoom, which is not the best option, but that's what most people have used. Um, I've also seen I've been a part of, and I've seen a lot of people use Crowdcast, Mm -hmm. and then uh the third one is Streamyard, and Streamyard is the best one in my opinion <laughs> and it's the one i've seen used the least which is really weird because i keep yelling at people to use it nobody's listening to me <laughs> i'm starting to get upset guys um but yeah those are the like the three main ones that i've seen people use the most and some people have used like google hangouts um and then Sort of use that like through YouTube. A lot of these are like sort of rerouted to other platforms like Facebook or YouTube, uh, Mm -hmm. or I think those are the only two really that I've seen people use. uh, Or people just like upload them to a website or whatever, what have Mm -hmm. you. But um, but yeah, definitely if you're looking into a virtual event, please look into StreamYard. It is not hard to use. Yeah, it's free. It's free, and if you want to get the pro option. It has so many different um, it has so many different features that are just so great and you can like grab a group of author friends and just all split the cost. i, I that's what I would do because it doesn't limit the amount of different like um, channels that you can use it for so if each of you mm-hmm. have your own YouTube channel you can all use it at, on your own platforms you don't have to like use one platform altogether mm-hmm. uh, I really like it but yeah that's my run yeah.
0: And so um, StreamYard, though, is like what we've been using as authors because we're totally fine with our events being free. Like anything that we host, we're like, yeah, come for free. We just want to reach our readers. Um, Whereas like Crowdcast is sometimes a paid to access thing, which is kind of I think what this question is touching upon is that oftentimes if a bookstore is hosting it or i guess maybe festivals might do this although mostly festivals are free but um they will ask you to register first and that's great registering like at all is is great because then it kind of is just an extra layer of security. Um, There's been a lot of like Zoom bombing. There's been a lot of racism and microaggressions towards diverse and BIPOC authors on these virtual events, unfortunately. So it is really important that whoever is hosting have security measures in place in order to protect these authors. So registering is great, but this person is also touching on the fact that sometimes to even register some bookstores ask you to either pay the price of a ticket or pay the price of a book before you can even sign up. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that, Clara? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's not exclusive to online events. People did that when we were still having in-person events too. There would be some times that you had to get a ticket to get in and that would include the price of a book, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that this mostly happens for like, quote unquote, more like established authors like i did an event with lee bardugo uh i don't remember time is fake a couple days ago i guess who knows when when it actually was and you had to pay to get in now lee has a she has fandom like she has a huge fan base so there was like a hundred people there and they all paid a ticket to to be there yeah if you tried to charge someone to come to an event for like debut author someone nobody really knows about or doesn't have like a huge fan base then you're probably not going to have a lot of people at the event um bookstores are definitely trying to find ways to make up money right now they're always trying to find ways to make money because it's hard out in these streets for bookstores like indie bookstores are struggling um all the time, and especially right now. So I think that sometimes they're just like, I think we might be able to get more, pe- more like, people to pay for this because we have an author who has like a huge fan base that's actually going to pay to be there and we can use that, you know, money to keep going. <laughs> and so it's definitely a strategic thing for them. They're just trying to to diversify their income just like any other business would. And it's, it's a matter of who do they think they can get actual money for versus people who, okay, we're going to have this for free. And that's not to say that bigger authors don't have free events. Most, most events are free, but it's just that once in a while you will see something that's paid. And I, I honestly don't know if that's something at like the publisher level sometimes, no clue. I'm not at that point yet, but I, I'm I'm guessing it's a bookstore thing. Like sometimes they'll just want to have those kinds of events to have supplemental income for their business. That's
0: my opinion. I don't know if I'm right, mm-hmm. though. I agree with you. I mean, I completely agree with all of your opinions. <laughs> um, I know. Sorry, that was so weird sounding. I like hesitated in the middle because I was every like, every single, single one of weird. my opinions, all of your Opinions just discussed in the last five minutes um, we are still normal human beings who have differing opinions on other stuff but I do agree with your opinions on this topic and the fact that yes it does kind of stink sometimes when it costs you know $20 up front to see your favorite authors um, but it, it is like indie if, especially if it's hosted by an indie bookstore especially during these times um, you know, any revenue stream that they can have is really important to, in order to keep them alive. Every dollar counts for them. And they're not charging you $20 for just a ticket usually. Um, they're they're oftentimes saying um, it's a $5 gift card or it's a $20 pre-order. Um, and then they're, they're saying like if you pre-order, you also will get it signed or a book plate, which is really nice. So yeah, yeah it is... It, I, I understand like we all... A lot of us are trying to save up money during these times and and it really stinks but um, you know for these indie bookstore events specifically it is part of their business model and I think it's just like we have to understand that and kind of just hope that maybe our favorite authors will be at a bigger conference or festival that's independently funded or crowdfunded so that we don't we can see them on a panel and not have to pay then um, so they there's always going to be opportunities to see most authors. You know, it's very rare these days that an author is a complete recluse. Yeah. Um, but I I also think that there's a lot of factors into that. So unfortunately, yes, you will often have to pay for like a pre-order of a book in order to register for some of these events, but it goes to a good cause if that helps.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're, you're helping to support the bookstore and the author at the same time. So um and like Kat said like you, there are there will be also free events so it's not like you have to but I think it's nice to have that option um and 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 like I said this happens for in person events as well like there there have been plenty of uh book launches where I had to get a ticket first to go to them and it included the price of the book which I would have bought anyway <laughs> so <laughs> you know it's just like a guarantee um yeah Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and, and also it does support even, so I know that there have been some events where they d- also do the p- pre-order the book to register, even if it's a debut author. And like Claribel said, I do feel like that's kind of a little bit harder to completely agree with because then it does s- kind of de facto limit the audience for an author that's still trying to get their footing in the mm-hmm. industry. I I can't say whether or not I think that's a wholly good epi- good option or wholly bad option because I know that there's two sides to everything um but if it is a situation where you're like I was so excited about this debut author I've never heard them speak I don't know if they'll be good should I pay the cost of this pre-order to go to the event if you're able to I would encourage you to still do that as well because it's supporting both the author and the bookstore. Again, if you only if you have the funds, but I I do think that it's worth it. No matter if it's an author you're already familiar with or not. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's our quick breakdown of that specific opinion. Uh, But I also this question made me think of something that I would love to get your thoughts on, Clarabelle. Which is. (laughs) Sure. Which is. There's been a lot of virtual events and I think that you and I have been pretty lucky in that, you know, we've been invited to a decent amount since each of our books have come out this year. Um, But I wonder, like, how are you feeling about it? Because I I do (laughs) think that. I'm not even done with the question yet, Clarabelle. I'm just like feeling like wondering how you're feeling in terms of like, is there burnout? Do you feel like because things are going virtual, people are going ham about it? Or or do you think it's still the same level as the in person things? And and what are your personal opinions about like finding that balance between being out there and promoing your book and having some mental health space for yourself, as well as kind of like picking and choosing, you know, what you choose to do for your promo. I know that's a lot. (laughs) I think it's, I I definitely feel burnt out. Yeah. For sure.
1: I definitely feel burnt out um, on events. Uh, It's been a lot. And I, I'm really happy that I've gotten this opportunity. I don't think that I would have done as many panels and events had it, had it, Had I just been home, you know, like, because I think it's a lot easier for me to just sit in front of my computer as opposed to like traveling somewhere. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's not also really draining because it is. There's been a couple of events where I've disassociated like during the actual panel. And like, I've talked about this on Twitter, too. I've just like completely disassociated because at a certain point, it's just like, I've done this so many times already and I'm staring at the screen and I've been in front of my computer all day. And, and also on top of that, the world is on fire. It's not like I'm on vacation and, or I'm home for whatever reason. And that's why I'm doing, no, everything is like really bad right now. So there's, there's a lot to deal with. Um, I think that I definitely felt a lot of pressure to do as many events as I could because I'm a debut and I'm debuting during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. I knew that every single event that I did would help me get the word out about Ghost Squad. And I don't regret doing all of the events that I did because I do think that it helped me and helped get the word out about me and my books and helped my sales. But I made sort of an active decision that after... Uh, This month I would only really do events that were like like quote unquote like bigger events like established Uh things things that already had like a reach that would help me um, expand my audience as opposed to me talking to the same like people that already know who I am just to give myself a break for a couple of months because it's been a lot. I've done a couple I've done a couple of events each month and like Uh I don't think that that is normal for such an extended period of time, like almost a year of, of that.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. That's a lot. I, it's, it's a lot. And I like, I was trying to think back to my experience last year debuting and, you know, I think all, all of the things I did was in person. I don't, I don't think I really started doing like Instagram lives or anything like that until 2020. And I was like, how many things did I do? And I think there were, first of all, I debuted later in the year so like you know me doing like six months of like going out to like an event or two a month is different than you doing nine months of it um for sure so there's that but um yeah I do think that you know virtual events have been a blessing and a curse a blessing because um it's it's allowed us to continue to connect with our audience but a curse because it has kind of Flooded <laughs> the mm. market with with a lot of like really well meaning virtual um, like events, both big and small. And I think that you know back back and before it was everything online. When a booktuber came up to you and they're like, "Hey, you want to do this like live chat on YouTube?" It felt individual and mm. it felt like its own thing, um, especially because it was their platform. Like YouTube is a platform that they exist on so that's great but now it's like okay should I only do it with youtubers because like they were here first or should I you know should I only be doing it and you're trying to like kind of decide like where your cutoff point is so that you're not exhausting yourself mm-hmm. yeah um, and and I do also think that you know the nitty-gritty of it is like if I'm being completely honest after you give so many interviews you're given the same answer like <laughs> to everything um not that, you know, not that I mean to, um, but I do think that sometimes there's just certain questions. Like, you know, you, your book has a very specific theme, um, and people just want to hear about, like, why you wrote about such and such, like, X. Ex- trope or such and such x relationship that's like really cool about your book and everyone's excited about and you are too but i think after a while it kind of you you lose track of like how did i answer this before did i just say this exact same thing like mm-hmm. 2 months ago um and and as an author i feel really bad thinking that i'm giving the same answer over and over again i don't want to do that i want it to be cool and intriguing content that like you know when you see me talking to this blog it's different than when you see me on this Instagram live I really do want that for all of my readers Um, so it does get to be kind of like confusing (laughs) for me Um, I don't know if if you felt the same thing at all
1: Um, I don't know if I would say confusing I do worry about giving the same answers but I think that a lot of times that's because of the questions that we get asked too like we get a lot of like what was your inspiration behind writing x diversity and or (laughs) yeah yeah, or like like the diversity questions and when we do have good questions when we do get good questions uh i think it makes it a lot more dynamic like a couple Mm -hmm. of like two weeks ago or something i did an event um and the Moderator was an author and his questions were really cool and original and Mm. funny and we had such a great time on that panel because his questions really we're we're thoughtful and like new and that's hard to do especially when you're not like an experienced moderator like not everyone can just come up with like really good questions you know um so I think it's difficult we a lot of people have pressure on them right now the authors people who are moderating people are putting the events together um and there is that like fear of you doing too much things and um Mm -hmm. I think my main concern is for like my mental health I don't ever think about things in terms of like oversaturation, to be quite honest, because I think that if unless you're like doing one event, like a week, if you're trying to find some sort of balance, I think, and like I said, if, if you're also using different. Um, vehicles towards like reaching your audience like I'll do like I've done library visits and school visits and like book club visits and panels like it's been a Mm -hmm. mixture of things right it hasn't just been like author focused panels where I'm with like three other people who also write middle grade I've done a lot of those but that hasn't been the only thing that I've done I think that as long as you find a balance with things, do a, do a di- like a, a a group of different kinds of events. Um, then you'll be okay because you're always reaching n- new people when you talk. I actually tweeted about this the other day because I was like, a lot of times people make decisions about promo based on how other authors react to them, and I think that's such a huge mistake because a lot of times we are looking at like authors getting annoyed at other authors on Twitter, but that's mm-hmm. not. Your audience like like you're not trying to impress other authors you you, you're you need to impress your readers (laughs) and and, uh, authors are always good we're always going to be seeing each other's events and being like overwhelmed by them because we're in this world like we can't help it especially people who live on twitter you know Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a huge mistake to be like, Oh, I don't want to annoy people like the people who you're worried about annoying is other authors. It's like the truth of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge mistake. You have to you have to it takes such a long time. So you have to say things so many different times to reach people. The amount of times that I've talked about the Ghost Squad movie on Twitter and every single time I talk about it, (laughs) there's more people who are like, what the fuck? There's a movie? (laughs) People who follow me, bro. People who follow me. Yeah. So that just goes to show you have to repeat yourself. It's the nature of promo. It's the nature of marketing that things need to be said more than once. If an author from you know, my mother's garage press gets mad at you about it. That's not your problem. It doesn't matter. Like, (laughs) you just need to focus on your own career and like reaching the people that you need to reach, which are your readers and like doing panels can help you in that sense. I don't think that's a reason to do less panels. A reason to do less panels is when A, your mental health is deteriorating because of it. Mm -hmm. And when B, you're like sick of it. And it's an it's, you're not having fun with it anymore because people are going to be able to see that they're going to notice. And it's important for you to rest <laughs> and sleep.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I actually really love that. And, and thank you so much for saying it, because I do think like every once in a while, someone, you need someone that you trust to kind of sh- take you by the shoulders and shake you. And I, I need that all the time. And you're often the person who does that for me. I think that, it's very, very true. We live in kind of a bubble sometimes in social media, and our bubbles are often publishing professionals over readers. Um, I think that especially on Twitter, um, it's, it leans a little bit more towards publishing professionals and reviewers and bloggers uh, than like the average, casual reader and and I do think that like we take to heart a little bit too much when someone like subtweets like oh this is happening so much or why are we seeing so much of this and we assume that it's kind of referencing our cool announcement thing that we just did yesterday or something like that but I think we need to get out of our heads Mm -hmm. we need to realize that we do we're doing this for the readers not for our fellow authors even though our fellow authors are also readers but you know as a person who used to be just a fan and is now an author, I can tell you that my brain works differently when I absorb stories. So I acknowledge the fact that I am no longer an average reader. (laughs) My opinion is not the same as that of an average reader. So I do really like the idea that like we need to get out of our own heads and that the focus should definitely be more on is this is this something that I think my readers will enjoy? and also is it is it good for my mental health those are like the two main factors and i really think that that's such great advice
1: yeah absolutely and i also feel like i also feel like especially for like middle grade authors like we're okay <laughs> like our readers are definitely mostly not on twitter and like a lot of the people that we're trying to reach is like librarians and teachers and like yeah the kids sometimes too when they'll be on panels but like I said, you have to find like your balance, right? Like this month I was looking, I've done six events this month, right? I, that's more than I usually do. It's Halloween month and I wrote a ghost book. So that's probably why, but of those six events, um, two of them were sort of like more closed private ones that were for, um, a book like book clubs and like libraries, right? So it's not like a thing where everyone can go see or they can, but they have to register. And it's like smaller, it's more intimate. There's not other authors there with me. It's just me talking to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one of them was a paid event. And then the others are like panels. So it's just, I think finding a balance is, is really important. Following your gut when it comes to stuff and remembering who your actual audience is and catering to them. I feel like we get in a trap sometimes, especially on Twitter, of thinking that like Twitter is the bubble of publishing and like yeah. that is the only people that we need to worry about. And it's like obviously Twitter can be so useful for so many different things and it's helped me a lot in my career. But at the same time, I'm not, I'm not gonna make huge decisions based on whether or not people on Twitter are going to be slightly annoyed at it if it's something that's good for me otherwise you know what I mean and I think Mm -hmm. that that's just something that's really important for people to remember and keep in mind and like I always say that that wasn't going to be your audience anyway people who are going to get mad about something like that they don't they're not for you it doesn't matter
0: yeah (sighs) this was cathartic I really needed this moment. Thank you for this therapy session, Clarabelle. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> That'll be $150. I'll pay you in chicken nuggets over Yay! 10 years. That's what I wanted. That's secretly <laughs> okay. what I wanted. Okay, good. Write <laughs> or Die is brought to you in part by TeePublic.
0: Public is home to independent art on stickers, cases, shirts, and more.
1: Check out our Write or Die store at tpublic.com slash stores slash write or die podcast.
0: Check it out now.
1: Super excited for today's guest. We have Nikki Barthelmess with with us. Uh, Nikki is an author of young adult books, including The Quiet You Carry, which is out now, Quiet No More, Flux Fall 2020, and Everything Within and In Between Harper Children's Fall 2021. Nikki entered foster care in Nevada at 12 and spent the next six years living in six different towns. During this time, Nikki found solace in books, her journal, and the teachers who encouraged her as a writer. A graduate of the University of Nevada, Nikki lives in Santa Barbara with her husband, daughter, and pride and joy corgi pup. Oh, corgis. I love corgis. It's named like Corgis, too, which is a little on the nose. But... Oh, that's okay. perfect. I love it.
2: Okay, <laughs> um, I should probably say that Quiet No More, the second book, just came out October 13th. So I should probably use oh, my bio. <laughs> so, yeah. So, this is your
1: nudge to update your bio, but everybody can. <laughs> can grab quite a no more and we'll make sure to put links to all of your books in the show notes anyway. So people can buy the prerequisite 20 copies, which they have to buy or else.
0: Yeah. It's a, a podcast requirement as, as you probably know, um, you listened to some past episodes. Um, yes, but my, yeah. my
2: house is filled with 20 copies. Of
0: all
1: of a true wordy, a true yeah. wordy.
0: <laughs> we love to see it. We really do. Um, so, Nikki, can you kind of take us down on a little journey with you about how you first got into writing, how you ended up getting your agent, how you ended up getting your first book deal and the process of all of that happening?
2: Sure. So I have always, like probably a lot of us who enjoy writing, I've always been a writer, even if I didn't consider myself one. So back to when I was like five years old, I wrote songs to my dogs and sang them. Uh, they weren't any good, but you know, that was my first willing audience, I guess. (laughs) And, um, I wrote in journals a lot growing up. Um, my mom died when I was young and I also was in foster care as uh, mentioned. So I did a lot of journaling to deal and cope with painful emotions. And I didn't, I didn't think that writing was like a job. Even even in college, I started out wanting to be a lawyer because my my lawyer, because I had a lawyer and court-appointed special advocate, um, thought that I did a good job advocating for myself. So that was kind of my plan, until uh, I ended up realizing that I could be a journalist. So I well, I wanted to do PR, but that's a whole other story. But anyway, so then while studying journalism, I got this idea for a dystopian novel and I wrote it, and that book never sold, but it is the book that got me an agent. So
0: did you go into journalism? How, what happened after that?
2: Okay, so the reason that I decided to even study journalism is because some random who I knew when I was five, I reconnected with, and I was 20 at this point, and I wanted to be a therapist, so I went from wanting to be a lawyer to, I worked for my lawyer, (laughs) she gave me a job, and I was like, ooh, I don't wanna be a lawyer, because I didn't, I thought it seemed boring, Working for her, which is is really ridiculous and immature of me, because now I'm married to a lawyer, and I see there are so many different kinds of law. So I worked for my lawyer, who was fantastic, and I love her, and I'm still in touch with her. Like she, when my debut came out last year, she met me at the bookstore and had me sign it for her. And I don't even live in Nevada anymore, but I was there for an event, and so like. Uh, wonderful, wonderful woman to give me a job, <laughs> but I decided I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I want to be a therapist. I want to help everyone with their problems. Cause I have all these problems. And then, um, someone who I had known when I, my child, my friend from my best friend from when I was five, her and her family were like, Oh no, you don't want to be a therapist. You like people and and you, um, do all these events and things that I was doing for, uh, just volunteering. And you should be in public relations, that's your personality. So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh yeah, cool, sounds good. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what public relations was. (laughs) I was just like, yeah, awesome. Somebody told me that I was good at something. (laughs) And so I went to like the college counselor or whatever and asked them for the PR program. And then we didn't have one, it was within the journalism program. So then I just signed up for the journalism program and um, started taking Mm -hmm. PR classes and doing that, I realized, oh, hey, you you can write for work, that's cool. Even though everybody said oh you'll never get a job in journalism because um you know print is dying journalism is dying nobody can get a job blah blah blah, don't do it um but then i studied journalism and i really liked writing obviously and my first job outside of school was as a newspaper reporter in santa barbara um so anyway uh but during that time that i was studying journalism i realized that i really wanted to write books because i had read books and they had, Reading had been an escape for me. In addition to writing, I I remembered all the reading that I did that helped me, kind of from foster home to foster home, and um, all, how lonely I was, how tough things were. I would escape through reading, and then I just felt kind of called to start writing. And at the time, I was 19 or 20, and I and I kind of just wrote a narrative form of a memoir of all the things that I had gone through in life, which is like a lot, and you know, it was very. Like, you know, my parents have, I, I, I had drug dealing in the family. My parents owned an escort service. Like I, that was before foster care even. So my life was pretty wild. And well, then in foster yeah. care, yes, I just wrote every, I just wrote all this stuff out. And then I promptly put it away. I never read it again. I didn't show anybody. I showed a few pages to a boyfriend at the time, but it had woken something up in me. And so I, I just felt like, oh, this is what I'm meant to be doing. And I wrote, uh, dystopian YA, uh, because I was super into that at the time. And I just thought like, maybe my words can help somebody get out of their crappy life and have adventure and hope. And I don't know, role models, because that's what everything reading was to me. And, um, I just pursued that. And that's the book that I ended up a few years later getting an agent with. And even though it never sold, it I was on submission for more than a year with that thing and it never sold. It's what got me started and I'm. You know
1: very grateful for that that's so um we have a few parallels in our journey because i also went to school for journalism and i was a reporter after uh college as well so that was interesting and i think it's so great that you had books there for you obviously i'm sorry for everything that you went through that's horrible um but having not books... mean to depress
2: everybody. Else.
1: No, oh my god, not at all. <laughs> not not at all. You did not at all. I think it's I think it's good to share these kinds of stories because especially if there are people who have been through something similar or even younger people listening, it could be an inspiration because a lot of times if you come from situations where people around you aren't succeeding, it's hard for you to picture yourself doing better. Um right, exactly. And and I think it's good to see people who have struggled uh, come out okay on the other side, and and do something that they love, which you are obviously doing. Um, So, do you remember what sort of your submission process was like for your first book? Or
2: yes, so I um, my first book went on sub and. it, it was on sub for more than a year before we shelved it. But during that time, it was just my agent, you know, finding editors that she thought would like it and, and sending it out. And it just wasn't, I was getting a lot of, oh, this is great, but we're, we can't take it because everybody's over dystopian science fiction because of the Hunger Games. So, um, and I was just like, oh yeah, well, I can't really compete with that. And I, I heard from a lot of people, my agent at the time heard from a lot of people that, you know, let's see what you want to work on next. But, but yeah, so eventually I did the thing that everyone tells you to do, which is write something new. And then it became clear that like, okay, well, let's try to, let's try to transition into this book because there might be more of a, more of a future there. And then that is the book that ended up becoming The Quiet You Carry. But that one had an even longer submission process. Ooh, tell us. Yeah. like way longer. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always telling people when they're like, especially new, new people, they're they're They think that like, oh, okay, well, I'm so glad that like, you know, you stuck with it, but that's not going to happen to me because they just don't think that they're they're going to suffer that much. I'm like, well, I hope you don't, but right. You might. <laughs> so the quiet you carry, and it actually had a different title when I first went out on sub with it, but that, that book, was on submission for two years and three months before it got an offer. And in that time, I pulled, we pulled it and revised quite a bit of times. In that time, I, a, a couple different things happened. So just, just so listeners are aware, after getting an agent and after being on sub, so not even counting the time from getting an agent to going on submission, just from submission to book deal, three years, more than three years.
1: Yeah, it can, it can take such so so much longer than people realize and like I love that you're able to share a success story after being on sub for so long because so many people think that you're on sub for like a month or like a week or two and you start spiraling because you're like nobody wants the book and you just like <laughs> completely lose it because I think a lot of the stories that we're used to hearing is people who sell quickly right like those are the stories that are made a big deal out of and that people sort of like talk about loudly because there's big announcements around them, right? Um when they take longer to sell it's like a little quieter. But I, I we really like highlighting those kinds of stories here so that people know that there is no sort of like set time frame for things to happen. There there, there are so many different variables and everyone's everyone's journey looks different. There's like no rules <laughs>
2: in publishing. <laughs> right. well, I mean, and there were a bunch of things that happened within that time, even before I got an agent, and then through getting it, and a lot of things that pushed me on. Uh, and then there were changes, like I started working with a, a additional agent at the agency who, who you two know actually is your friend, um, Sarah Gurton, who also yay, an we author, love Sarah. Sarah Holland. Yeah, so Sarah is yeah. my agent. Um, but before when I started out, she was um, she wasn't even at Curtis Brown yet. Um, and when I started out, when I with the first book, but on the second book after being on sub and doing a lot of revising, I just ended up working with Sarah a lot because um, we just you know if I'd call Elizabeth, Sarah might answer as her assistant, and she provided really great um, revision feedback that we just kind of became close. And when she wanted to become an agent and I'm sharing this because I think a lot of people don't understand how sometimes this behind the scenes stuff works with, um, with assistants moving up or how people become agents. So anyway, during that time of already having worked with, um, my fantastic agent, Elizabeth on the the first book and then working, deciding to shelve that and then working on the quiet you carry, which initially was titled unwanted. We had, I you know, revised it a, a little bit here and there. Revised, well, not a little bit, revised quite a bit, and um, brought it back from the mission a couple times. And during this, pro- during this time, Sarah had come on as an assistant, and through her work, just giving feedback, editorial notes, answering the phone, and talking to me if I had any questions. I would often ended up talking to Sarah before I talked to Elizabeth, and she gave really insightful feedback that we just started working together more and more. And when she decided that she was ready or wanted to ask if she could start transitioning to become an agent from the assistant, she had asked, can we share Nikki as a client? And I, you know, we all thought that was a great idea. We'd all been working great together and um, that's kind of how, how we got started. And then eventually we had just worked together more and more and I kind of transitioned into becoming her client. And so it's been really cool watching as well, both kind of the babies in the industry together. So she was brand new, a brand new assistant. And I, you know, was brand new, just trying to get my, my first book deal. And now, you know, she's sold three books for me.
0: Oh, that's so amazing. I love that story. And it's, it's so unique, but it's so unique that like you ended up experiencing that of, of being there when she transitioned from assistant to full agent. But I think it kind of goes towards the fact that a lot of people who are newer agents actually were assistants giving full editorial letters and doing all the agent work kind of behind the scenes at, with whoever their mentor is um so you know when people are looking for agents they really should never discount someone who's brand new and building up their list because they probably have a lot of experience because agenting as an apprenticeship, um, kind of a job. So I kind of love that you took us down that journey. Um, and, and now you still have both of them as your agents or it's just one or. Uh,
2: it was, it was both of them for a while and then it transitioned to just being Sarah.
0: Okay. Amazing. And, and obviously you guys have sold a bunch of books together. So congratulations. That's super cool.
2: <laughs> I love working with Sarah. I mentioned, I know that you all three know her, but she's also an author, which I think is really cool mm-hmm. because she can kind of, and there are a lot of agents who are also also authors just in case, um, you know, people aren't aware of that, but she can give all the agenting advice and feedback, but then also can commiserate and have a lot of empathy for the author side too. So I feel really lucky to have her.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Sarah's awesome. <laughs> we do. We love Sarah. Like, you know, we, we always talk about the agents that we can like, definitely full-heartedly recommend and Sarah's is definitely one of those she cares a lot about her clients
2: she does and she's I'm gonna give her a little ad right here she's building her list so (laughs) I I love it Sarah Burton Curtis Brown look for her she wants to hear from you
0: we'll we'll link (laughs) her we'll link
1: her down below in the show notes yeah
0: Amazing, okay, so um, obviously you know your your second book just came out, uh, which is a sequel to your first book. Um, how has it kind of been like working on working on your first duology? Um, what was your experience like writing a book under contract versus not and and how did it all come together? Was it was it everything you dreamed or was there any like big surprises that really stuck out to you?
2: It was surprising. I think, and and it was everything I dreamed at the same time. How about that? Uh, So The Quiet You Carry, I started writing that. I would say from the time that I started writing it to the time that it was published, it was probably five years. And Quiet No More, I sold that on a proposal. So I'd only written a few chapters of it and then written a synopsis. And then um, we sold that to my publisher. And then basically I was told you have, I don't remember how long, maybe six months or something to write it. And that was happening I I was trying to write that while I was preparing to debut and then revising that like as the book had just come out and so it was really an interesting time to be like my foot was in both both it it was the same book obviously or the same storyline but my I was in both worlds at the same time and uh that was um really cool but also it it was kind of stressful too because I, I I was so lucky that I got a lot of great feedback from readers on The Quiet You Carry and so many people told me that it helped them feel seen and less alone. Um, sure, foster kids could relate to it, and I and I took uh, took the book and did adv- did my normal advocacy stuff and, and gave speeches and did that kind of thing. But mostly, I heard from people who had ha- have been abuse or assault victims who were reaching out to me to to talk about some of the things that happened in the book and how it made them feel. Uh, validated in a lot of ways and so that was really rewarding and wonderful but then also I was like "Oh, I don't want to let these people down with the second book <laughs> so I was really nervous about that um, but it was it was really cool to continue a story that I I didn't I didn't necessarily know that I would get a sequel even though I had I don't know about you two with uh, well obviously Kat um, you have uh, a sequel for your debut but I don't know if you think about like, oh, after this book happens, like, this is probably what would happen, and then no, not necessarily plan for a sequel, but then, like, have that in the back of your mind, but I, I didn't know that I was going to be able to get the sequel, so it was very exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think, um, I think, well, for me, yeah, I had I had the advantage that I sold it as a two-book duology originally, but I I definitely, going into, you know, even going on submission, I had all of these ideas like, oh, if there was a second book, it would be like this. If it was a trilogy, it would go like this. and And I think a lot of my friends, like, have very similar, like, hopes and dreams, like, being realistic, because at this point, like we kind of know a little bit more about the ins and outs of the industry, but I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, having an idea, you know, because let's shoot for the moon always is is my philosophy.
2: <laughs> I was thinking more of like I had it beaten out of me to, to shoot for the moon because for my first book, the dystopian science fiction one, I thought that that was going, I mean, I thought that was going to be like the next Hunger Games, which, okay, don't laugh at me, but I was like 20 when I wrote it and I was just so excited and I had all this plans for it and then it didn't sell. But even if it had sold, it doesn't mean that anybody would be interested in it. So after that, now anything I write or even consider writing, I'm just like, okay, if anybody even wants this, then that's then, then probably it. But I should probably shoot for the more, moon more.
1: Yeah. I think that you do need to have a little bit more confidence in yourself. <laughs> I, I, I think it's good that one of the things people like, whenever anyone's like, what's the one thing that you have to have in publishing? Or like, what's your number one advice? And I think people should be able to be flexible. I think it's really good to be able to roll with the punches. We have to, because things rarely go how we expect. But I think that the nature of publishing is such that we, we try to predict what's going to happen next based on our past lived experiences with books. And that's not always a good, the, a good idea to do because you're, you're, you're basing like your fears on something that, that happened before. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen going forward with the next book. You always have a new chance for things to go differently. So,
2: stop being so oh, hard sure. on yourself and, and, yeah <laughs> and I and, and even with um even with the quiet you carry taking a little bit longer it wasn't that oh nobody wanted it it was terrible it was more of the like well oh, I changed it so much to make it better so that somebody would want it and then mm. finding the right home for it was really specific because it the the book I think a lot of editors probably or a lot of people probably saw that as like being uh niche or is it niche or niche niche I think it's uh, niche. And, and know, like the way nice. the way we even decided, um, Sarah and I decided who to send it to was because we saw uh, Eric Smith had with Flux his Welcome Home anthology, which was an adoption anthology. And then he had The Girl in the Grove come out with them, which the main character was an adoptee. And so I was just learning about that through being part of the community. And, and even someone said, hey, you should write for this anthology. And by the time I reached out to Eric, uh, who's very wonderful, by the way um, he had already sent, sent it to his editor. So it was too late for me, but that got flux on our radar for someone to a publisher that might consider the quiet carry. And so it, it wasn't that like, it, it took that time to to make the book as good as it could be. And then also to find the right place for it. So when I tell people about like, okay, well the first book, it wasn't the right time because the market was saturated as everyone like to say, because of, you know, the dystopian, landscape that was happening or the dystopia, all the dystopian books that had come out after the hunger games and then the second book i just needed to make it the right story that it needed to be and then find the right home for it but um and that wasn't the second book i guess that was my first book but you know after that when we sold the sequel on proposal that didn't take that long at all that was you know a few weeks or a month or something and then my third book that sold to harper Collins that is coming out next year i think that was maybe a month before we got oh hey you know this uh, editors editor is interested in it maybe we should set up a phone or we're going to set up a phone call so it's different and then you know the next thing I do who knows maybe it'll be maybe it'll be a long time maybe it'll be two days I don't know but like it's just part of it's just part of it
1: yeah, absolutely. Um so I have a question. So uh, for people who are listening to this and who are currently on sub, right? Or they're querying right now. I know that whenever I'm on sub or when I was querying, listening to podcasts was one of like my favorite things to do because listening to other people's journeys like gave me like hope and inspiration and also helped fill like my brain with thoughts that weren't just like me spiraling. <laughs> Um, I could think about someone else's journey. But I really wanted to know during the time that you're on sub since it was such a long time. How did you sort of keep yourself motivated? How did you like how did you fill the time? I imagine it was difficult. Uh, but how did you sort of like keep the hope alive if you did at all?
2: That's a really good question. And I love it that you two talk about this on there, be, on here, because I, if I recall correctly, the reason that you two joined together was I think Kat was feeling like <laughs> oh I'm going to be on set forever and you were like no that's just how you feel we need to do this and have everybody here is that correct that's the why the
0: origin of the podcast yeah yeah the, yeah. the
1: podcast was me saying I'm going to prove to you that people are on set right. for longer than six months right. so that so you you need to set... be
2: really flattered that I know that or get a training <laughs> order your choice
1: no we um, talk about it we talk about okay. it pretty often <laughs> yeah. it's fine but, <laughs> but
2: um, so I think that there were a couple of things one and this is a good reason why The Quiet You Carry is my debut and not the desire which was the name of that dystopian book, and it was because I really, really cared about the quiet carry It mattered so much to me. When I grew up in foster care, I, before I was in foster care, I didn't even know what it was. I'd never heard of it. And um, when I went in, there were so many people who just expected the worst out of me. They thought I was going to be just like my parents, you know, who did not have the best outcomes. They thought that I would be one of those negative statistics. They, you know, I wasn't going to. They didn't think I'd go to college. They didn't. I thought I'd be like. Um, a drug addict, go to jail, all of these things, and that was just what everyone expected of kids like me. And so I wanted, and then I would watch TV and read books. And the foster kid, if you see foster care, they're like the perpetrator in Law and Order. And so I thought, okay, well, and then even you know, some author, a lot of authors will try to write a foster kid character, and I'm just like, ugh, I can tell they don't know what they're trying. You know, they mean well, but they don't really know what they're doing. And so I had already proven that i could write because i was a newspaper reporter i was getting paid to do it and then i had an agent who was you know willing to forego getting paid until i did and, and put all this work into me not getting a cent until i sold the book and so i just thought i'm gonna write this book and i had a mentor too um, who I really admire and respect, and who has uh, been in the children's literature community for many, many years, Nikki Grimes, and she believed in me, and she said, "You got to write. You got to write this book. You got to write a book for foster kids." And so, having that real reason this book needs to exist is what made me able to stick through it because I am very sensitive, like a lot of writers are, and it was hard to get rejected. It was hard to to be talking to anybody. And they're like, Oh, you're a journalist. And I'd be like, yeah, but I really want to be an author. And they would just kind of like metaphorically pat me on the head. Like, that's cute. And, but I, I had this, I had it, this dream and it felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. And it wasn't just like, okay. And then I got published and everything was great. Um, like I thought it would be. And even there were many times I wanted to quit from being rejected. And, you know, I had a, I had a, a family tragedy too. I lost my younger brother. He died during that time that I was on submission. And I just, I quit, I quit writing. I quit like living practically for the longest time. But then after I had even more of a reason why I wanted to do it because I told him that this was my dream and he believed that I could do it. And I wanted to make him proud and I wanted to make um, other kids like me proud.
1: (laughs) Oh, I, I, I want to hug you. I, I literally, I also lost my brother, which is why I sort of pushed myself to start writing. So I identified like literally exactly with the feeling that you had of wanting to do something for him. And like, he was, must be so proud of you right now. Like you did it. Like that is incredible.
0: Thank Thank you so much for, for sharing your story with us. It's, it sounds like such a beautiful story and, and it's so personal, which I know can be hard sometimes to talk about, but it's definitely something that like for for some readers, they need this, they need a story like that to show them that they're seen. And it's so great that it's out there. So thank you for, for sharing it with the world and with us.
2: Oh yeah. And I tell all this specifically because I know I didn't think I would get emotional like that, but I've heard, I heard, um, I've heard, I've heard other people share this stuff and I know what it means to people. I know what it meant to me when I was growing up and I needed somebody to look up to and I didn't have one, but you know, I've heard, um, Justin the writer of the opposite of always talking about his inspiration on oh, your show like, we love him yeah he's great yeah, right it's and it's so just I, I do think that it helps people to hear because maybe someone's on submission and and or trying to get an agent and they're about to give up and then my thought is like if you're gonna get if you would really give up is this the right book because maybe you need to write a different book that you just couldn't give up on no matter how many people shut the door on
1: you. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really, the more sort of we share with one another about things, the the bigger the chance we have of helping someone who is in like a similar situation. Um, so So yeah, thank you for sharing. And I'm so happy that you proved all those jerks wrong who thought that you didn't, you weren't going to amount to anything because you... You sure did. <laughs> and you, you, you sure did. And you're helping people as as well, which is so beautiful and great. Um, so for for people who don't know what The Quiet You Carry is about and Quiet No More, which just came out, um, maybe you can give us like a brief rundown of both of those books. So The Quiet You
2: Carry follows 17-year-old Victoria Parker when she's removed from her home in the middle of the night and put into a foster home in a small rural town that she's never heard of. And uh, she's trying to hide from social services what really happened at home because although they know enough to remove her, they don't know exactly what happened. And she's also trying to navigate the rules of her strict new foster mom while keeping it a secret from the kids at her small school that she's in foster care because she's embarrassed. And then also keeping her college dreams alive as best as she can while trying to protect the stepsister she left behind who might be in danger. So that's the quiet carry. And then quiet no more. Victoria, college freshman, Victoria <laughs> Parker. Spoiler alert, she does get into college. Yay. <laughs> uh, she is an assault survivor who's trying to heal from her past, but also forge this new future for herself and make new friends in college by joining uh, an a, abuse... a a club that aims to prevent abuse and assault and she's so she's making new friendships and kind of keeping old ones and just doing her thing and but everything is thrown into disarray when her long-lost aunt shows up who Victoria didn't even know existed and this aunt is asking her to downplay the abuse um, that happened to Victoria to help the abuser get a lesser sentence she has to write a victim impact statement, a victim impact statement to give to the judge that will affect her abuser's sentencing. But when Victoria learns that her abuser was also abused as a child, her feelings are complicated because she doesn't want to make her abuser suffer more in jail. And then meanwhile, she's doing all this work for this advocacy that's helping victims, that's helping survivors. And when her new her new friends find out what she's thinking about doing, they I want her to throw the book at her abuser victoria's feeling pulled in in both directions and basically she has to figure out who she's speaking up for and why And quiet no more and and there's just a lot more trouble ahead for her
0: oh wow i mean that's i can tell why your publisher wanted you to write a sequel because there's so much complicated fallout and like I think it's good that there's a book out there that's kind of like, yeah, things do happen. Like, you know, after you're free from your abuser, it doesn't mean that it's over. You still have things that you have to deal with. And um, to have a story where a character goes through those complicated processes is probably really important and really powerful. So yeah, sounds very heavy, but very important. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, I, I, really, uh, I really do uh, fluffy, fun books, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <That's a> <laughs> I, I, you know as a person who jumps genres uh both Claribel and I do um I'm always down for like your first book can be the darkest most serious thing and then your next book can be like a comedy rom-com I think that's totally fine
2: <laughs> thank you I will keep that in mind but, but yeah. yeah I think our culture tends to have and, and part of the reason why I wrote this book is in general there's they think of someone as like the before snapshot and then, Oh, before something happened, whatever it is. And then after, and so before, Oh, your life is a mess. And then after everything is perfect. Everything is great. Yay. And I certainly experienced that as a former foster kid that uh, people and they people see how my life is now. Like you're an author and I'm, I'm married. I have this beautiful baby. I'm living my dream. I live by the beach. Like I have this great life and yes, I do have a really wonderful life, but like it's still really hard. A lot of things from, from my pastor, from the people that I've lost, from the things that I've gone through, it's still really hard. And so I thought that I could, uh, I thought that I could kind of reflect some of that in a story.
0: Definitely, definitely. So I know you also have a book coming out in fall twenty twenty one with Harper. Do you mind giving us a quick summary overview of everything within and in between?
2: I would love to. So it everything within and in between comes out in the fall of twenty twenty one from Harper Children's. It follows biracial teen, Ree Fernandez, as she fights to re- reclaim her Mexican heritage and her connect connection with her absent mom from her strict immigrant grandmother, who has kept her from both. And so similar to The Quiet You Carry, I, which, by the way, I did not say this before, The Quiet You Carry is not based on my life. Everybody thinks it's based on my life. I It was inspired by a lot of things that I went through. I grew up in foster care. I spent six years in the Nevada foster care system. Um, And I aged out at 18, but, and I also met a bunch of foster kids through my advocacy volunteer work, but it's not, The Pride You Carrying Quiet No More is not like an autobiography. It's not based on my life. I have experiences, sure, but it comes from my real feelings, if you will, but it's not based on me. It's just inspired by some of those things. And similar to that, um, everything within between, I drew from my life, like, Re, my main character, I'm biracial. I'm part Mexican American and white. And I've experienced some of the insecurities and issues with identity that uh, Re goes through in the story. And I'm also very close with my immigrant grandma. So the story means a lot to me. And I'm really excited to share it with readers.
1: Yay. I love that. That's so um, good. I'm biracial myself. So I know those feels. Yeah. <laughs> they are very complicated okay. and hard to deal with. I love the together, I'm, by the way oh yeah that's that's absolutely correct yes (laughs) um i um i sometimes lose track of las musas because we there's just so much going on in general yeah Um, which is great you you are correct (laughs) (laughs) okay nikki so everyone who's on the podcast either gives us uh their most embarrassing publishing related story or something they wish they'd known before they started you can do either or you can do both it's up
2: my most embarrassing moment, let's just go there. What game? <laughs> it was in, in 2013, I believe, at the summer SCBWI conference in LA. Uh, I was sitting on the ground in the back because the it was so full that it was standing room only. So I was sitting in the back and I was sitting next to two people. And because it was both of their first time, I kind of took it upon myself to be like their guide. Like I was, it was my... I think it was my second conference too. So it's not like I just knew everything by the way, but I just thought like, oh, I'm going to let them know how it is. And so I'm telling them all about the conference and all about everything. And I kind of start talking about how I have, I, I I'm like humble bragging that I have an agent. Like I'm just really excited and I'm talking about getting notes. And I'm, I probably, I was just thinking like, oh, I've been on sub forever. I don't know if I've been on sub forever, but I was just really excited about it. So I was telling them all about it. And then, um, I decided to finally stop talking about myself to ask them, you know, oh, what do you write? What do you illustrate? And one of the people was Patrick Flores Scott and his, and he was like, oh, I'm a writer and he pulls out his book. From out of his bag, and he's like, "Yeah, this is coming out in like a couple weeks or a couple months or whatever," and my just jaw hit the ground because I had been talking myself up. Like I, I thought it was so cool because I had an agent, and, and Patrick was just sitting there very quietly, very politely listening to me. And he's like, "Oh yeah, I have my book's coming out," <laughs> and so I think of um, the the moral of that story is you are never as cool as you think you are, or I am never cool. <laughs> I think, I am. and then also just how cool SCPWI is because not only was I sitting next to this person who was an author and I was so excited. I hadn't met a ton of authors. I was starstruck, but then the other person who was in our little group that I was talking to and just letting them all, letting them all the ins and outs of what it was to be a conference attendee. uh, Her name is Lena Podesta and she is an, now she has since become published and is an illustrator of some fantastic children's books. So how cool is that? But, but yeah, it was very, That's it's awesome. very embarrassing to think that I, like what was going through his head probably would have been like, oh yeah, you know, I got an agent. This is what it's like when she emails me and blah, blah, blah. Like, oh yeah, what do you do? Oh, I'm an author. Here's my book. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, we all have those moments, right? But That's a good one. I like your story. I think if it comes from (laughs) your honestly,
0: it sounded like you were just like honestly very excited about achieving this thing that's really hard for people to achieve. And like Clarabelle said before, you definitely should be able to chat yourself up more. Like you should be free to do that. So even though it might've been embarrassing in the moment, I think it's fine.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It was so nice and so gracious. And um, yeah, so it, it was just, it was just really funny. I was very starstruck and I come, I come home to my, Beyonce at the time and I'm like oh my gosh I'm an author it was so cool and then I tell the rest of the story and he's like yeah that's very on brand for you That's definitely something
0: <laughs> well Nikki thank you so much for chatting with us and for being on the podcast it was fascinating to hear your journey um about how you got published
2: oh I'm so so glad to be on thank you so much for having me I love this podcast I think <laughs> you both are great everybody Buy their books, request them from the library. Oh,
0: thank you so much. It's also a very,
2: very good time because it's October and I feel like both of your debut novels are spooky. Uh, you know, I don't know when this is gonna maybe this is gonna come out in November, so
0: never mind. But it's perfect for any time really to read these books. <laughs> that is it's correct. Both perfect always. for any time. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Okay, Nikki, can you let everyone know where they can find you on the internet? Yes, I am
2: on Twitter as Nikki Gray underscore, that's G-R-E-Y, and I'm on Instagram at Nikki Bartholmes, and my website, NikkiBartholmes.com. Please find me, say hello, I love to hear from people
1: yay thanks so much for being on it was so much fun thank you i'm really 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 glad to be here thank you
0: thanks for listening to write or die be sure
1: to check out wicked fox by cat Cho
0: and go squad by claribel a ortega and while you're at it make sure to subscribe to us on itunes and leave us a review see you next time wordies and don't
1: forget to spread the word